I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was the youngest child of Bob and Hilda Dolson. My dad worked for General Motors, uh, actually for a company called Detroit Diesel. And I never ever went to where my dad actually worked. I don't think General Motors really valued the idea that, you know, bring your kids to work day. But I was able to actually visit where my mom worked. My mom was the high school principal's secretary. And when I was in seventh grade, I was actually able to visit my mom at her work. Now just picture this, you know, I'm in seventh grade. And so, you know, high school kids are like, you know, freshmen, sophomores, seniors, like they're really big people, you know, in the world. And so I was really intimidated to go to the high school. So, but I went in and uh, there, my mom was in this uh, area behind a bunch of uh, desks. And uh, this big, you know, like senior in high school comes to me and says like, well, what do you want? And I said, I'm here to see uh, my mom. And they looked at me like, like, who's your mom? And I said, uh, well, her name's Hilda Dolson. And then the senior goes, Mrs. Dolson. And I thought, whoa, I just said something important. And it was struck me because I, I don't think I ever referred to my mom as Mrs. Dolson, but she like was Mrs. Dolson there. And so this senior takes me back into like the inner sanctum of this office area. And there was my mom and she had a couple of like high schoolers with her. And she was like, she was like telling these high schoolers like what to do. She told this one high schooler to do one thing and the high schooler did it and another one did something else and I thought, Oh my gosh, who is this woman? She like has some authority. My mom had like, she had a desk. She didn't have a desk at home, but she had like a desk there. And she worked for the principal. She was his secretary and she said, you wanna meet the principal? I mean the principal of the high school. And I went in and he was like nice to me. My mom had this huge keychain with all these keys on it. And everybody kept saying, Mrs. Dolson, Mrs. Dolson. And I thought, my mom is really something. So you're probably wondering to yourself, why am I outside talking about visiting my mom in her office? Well, we're actually at my backyard. This is actually kind of uh, my deck. And uh, this is, yeah, these are my trees. We're outside in, um, my backyard. And I wanted to kind of do the talk here because, well, honestly, when I ever thought about my mom, I just thought about, well, she's just like my mom, you know, like she cooks for me and feeds me and takes care of me and stuff like that. I never really thought of my mom as being like a professional person until I like went to her office. And then I went to her office and I had like a whole new understanding of who my mom was. So for today's talk, I wanted to kind of come outside to God's, this is God's office. And if I could be honest, I think most of us, when we think about God, we think about, well, he's my God. God saved me. God cares about my salvation. He cares about my family. He cares about love. He cares about holiness. He cares about justice. But a lot of times we don't understand that God actually cares about creation. In fact, creation is kind of like 
his job. So for today's talk, I wanted to visit God's office so that we could see God and think about him a little differently. Like what happened to me when I visited my mom in her office. So why don't you go ahead and grab a Bible and open to Psalm 104. Psalm 104. We are in this series, and the series is going through the book of Psalms, and we are calling this series, If I'm Honest. And if I'm honest, I think most of us, when we think about God, we don't think about his creation. We think about how he relates to us. But God is so much bigger than his relationship uh, to us. We're going to read through Psalm 104, but before we do that, let me give you a couple things about the psalm. First of all, Psalm 104 is like self-talk. So the unknown psalmist is like talking to himself. It's like his meditation. You'll notice the way the psalm starts and the way the psalm finishes is the same. He uh, praises God and he kind of tells his soul to praise God. So it's like his self-talk. Second, it seems to me that the psalmist was probably like having a Bible study in Genesis 1 or something like that, the creation narrative. Because if you follow what he's doing in the psalm, it's actually, he's like actually going through uh, Genesis 1 and the creation narrative. So it's like maybe he was having a Bible study and then he wanted to talk to himself about how great God was. And then third, this psalm is poetry. Okay? It's in the book of Psalms. So it's written in the language of poetry. It's not written in the language of science, and that's very important for us to know. Because if you ask a scientist, why do we have seasons, a scientist would probably say something like, well, the earth is on its axis at 23.5 degrees, and it's always pointing towards the North Star. And then as it makes its way around the sun, the sun distributes its energy in a different, you know, that's the language of science, okay? That's not the language of poetry. If you ask a poet in the Psalter, why do we have seasons? The poet's going to say, well, because the moon knows what to do and the sun knows what to do. They, the poet personifies these two heavenly bodies. So... Everybody just relax. The psalm is not written in the language of science. It's written in the language of poetry. So, do you have your Bible? Make sure you have a Bible. And let's listen to and read through Psalm 104. Here we go. Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes wind his messenger, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. 
You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs, pour water into the ravines, and it flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the conies. The moon marks off the seasons and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. And then people go out to their work and their labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you, to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with the good things. And when you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. And when you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise, praise the, the Lord, Lord, O my, my soul. soul. Praise, praise the Lord. Wasn't that fantastic? Man, I just love that psalm. This psalm is such a great uh, psalm. This psalm is not about us. It's about God and how God is so great. His greatness is shown in the way he displays himself in creation. So let's kind of go back and look at a few verses uh, in the psalm. Creation displays God's power and splendor. And look at Psalm 104, verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. So first, did you notice he said, praise the Lord, 
uh, my soul. So it's like the self-talk. And notice at the end of the psalm, he closes the very same way. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And you notice also in there this that the Lord is clothed with splendor and majesty. There's an old hymn that those of us who are older probably know, and it goes like this, pavilioned with splendor and girded with praise. That phrase comes uh, from this psalm uh, right here. Notice the verbs and all the things that uh, God uh, does. The Lord, in verse 2, he wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens. Look at verse 5. He sets the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters, in verse 6, stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, verse 7, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. So notice, this is so cool, the way, um, how, do, how, how are beaches formed? Did you notice that? Look at uh, verse 8 and 9 on your screen. They, that is the waters, flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. See verse, verse 9? <laughs> that's, that's how beaches were formed. So see the poetry here? This is like fantastic. God creates water and this water flows and it can go anywhere. But then God sets a boundary and that's, that's the coastline and it cannot cross that. In the ancient Near Eastern world, uh, waters, the ocean was a place of chaos. You look out at an ocean like there's no, because you, you can't control the waters in the ocean. You can't control them at all. You can control things on land, but not the ocean. It's a place of utter chaos. But God said the chaos stops right here. And that's the coastline. And you could go back to that coastline generation after generation, and it does not change because God set a boundary right there. This is beautiful poetry. This is the, the way this poet is praising a God in his soul as he meditates through the creation narrative. Notice also that the creation displays God's constant sustaining work. <laughs> this is just God. Awesome, awesome. Look uh, what he says in verse 11. Um, they give water to all the beasts of the field, the wild donkeys. So he's talking about the springs, springs of water. Do this. Look at verse 13. He, that is God, he waters the mountains from his upper chain. Well, how do, the, how do the mountains get water? Well, God waters them. Look at verse 14. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for the people to cultivate bringing both food from the earth, wine that gladdens the human hearts. How many of us like a nice uh, bottle of wine? Well, you can thank God for that. Uh, he's, he sustains the earth and it produces uh, that. He makes trees and trees are well watered. Look at verse 16. Verse 19, he made the moon. Why? To mark the seasons. This goes right back to Genesis 1. And the sun knows when to go down. He says, the psalmist says in verse 20, you bring darkness, it becomes night. All the beasts of the forest prowl. Where do the lions get their food? Look at verse 21. The lions roar for their prey and they seek their food from who? From God. Where, how, how do lions eat? Well, they, they get their food uh, from God. The, the culmination of all of this is the fact that God sustains 
everything because it's his creation. He waters things. He plants things. He cultivates. It all belongs to him. So the summary verse is really key verse in the psalm is verse 24. Look at verse 24. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. The psalmist is praising God because all of this belongs to him. So, you like that, like those trees. Oh yeah, those are my trees because they're in my backyard. No, 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 no. They're God's trees. They're God's trees. And there's a, a cardinal that's singing right behind us right now. So that's God's cardinal. There's a squirrel that runs around my deck. I really don't like that squirrel that much, but this is God's squirrel. All of these creatures, they belong to God. There's a bug that has been flying uh, down my neck. That's God's bug. So they all belong. They all belong to Him. They're His creatures. We're in God's office. This is what he does for a living. All of this belongs to him. And it's kind of like, as the psalmist writes, that the bugs and the squirrels and the trees and the animals, they, they know this. And it's like they're all theists. And they, they look to God for things. You see that? Look, look at verse 27. All creatures... Look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Isn't this great? When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, probably better it would be breath, same word as in the previous word, Hebrew words of ruach, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. A hundred billion creatures look to God uh, for their food. A hundred billion creatures uh, look to God for their life and for everything. It's kind of like they, he's saying, like, they look to you. You know, it's like this is a killer song, isn't it? Like when I, when I look at, the, at these leaves, when I look at these leaves, I think they're depending upon God. When I think about this bug, they're like, that bug's depending upon God. The squirrel's depending upon God. This poet, again, is called personification. He like turns all these things into like people and they, they're praising God and they're depending upon God. This psalm, is not about God's relationship to humanity. It's about God's relationship to what he does in his office, like his creation. Some Christians have the idea that, well, all of this creation is really for us. God kind of created it all for us, and it's just all for us. And this psalm kind of just blows that away. It's like, no, that's not right at all. This is not for us. This is God. It belongs to him. And there's some verses that kind of help you see that this is really not about us at all. Scan your eyes back to verse uh, 11. Look at verse 11. They, that is the waters, give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. That word for wild donkeys is the Hebrew word, here you're seeing on the screen right now, it's the Hebrew word pere, 
It's an, an onager. And according to uh, Wikipedia, onagers, quote, unlike most horses and donkeys, onagers have never been domesticated. They are among the fastest mammals as they can run as fast as 43 miles per hour. So here is a picture of an onager. So onagers, they, they like have nothing to do with human beings. So there's nobody back in that day that domesticated them. They've never been domesticated. And so the psalmist, he, he could choose anything at all, but he decides to choose that creature because it has nothing to do with human beings, actually. Did you see that also about that creature, strange creature called Leviathan? Look at verse 25. There is the sea vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. <laughs> Leviathan. Oh. So after you're done listening to this, if you want, go to Job 41. The whole chapter is about Leviathan. What's a, what a Leviathan? Well, scholars debate about what a Leviathan is. Um, most likely, and I go with scholars who think that it's probably a mythical uh, creature we see in a couple of the Psalms that has many heads and things like that. So it's, um, it's a chaos creature. And the chaos creatures are creatures that you're afraid of. Uh, they're, they're like live in the deep. And they're just monstrous in size. And God says, the psalmist says, he creates this monstrous leviathan to, to frolic, to play in the oceans. It's a, it's a classic little play on terms here. So it has nothing to do with human beings. This psalm is about God and about how great God is and about the fact that this is his creation. These are his creatures. So how does a some like this relate to us and our lives? Well, uh, first, uh, we should care for his creation. I mean, that seems like a no-brainer to me. I mean, it's his creation, so we should care for it. But something interesting is happening in our culture today because, you know, in our world, in Madison in 2020, the dominant cultural narrative really says that politics is more important than religion. In fact, uh, someone once said that uh, politics is the new, America's new uh, religion. So it's, it's so, it's so much, it's so powerful today that if you actually, in some circles, if you actually say, you know what, I think we should care for creation more. Some of us will have friends come up to us and go, what's wrong with you? Are you a Democrat? Isn't that odd? I mean, that's just the way the world works today. And some of us, if we said, you know what? Uh, I really think that the Bible teaches us to care for creation. Some of us, our friends would go, what? You read the Bible? Are you a Republican? Isn't that odd? I mean, it's the world we live in today. We live in a world that separates, separates all of us. And we live in a world that 
says that science and the Bible, well, they're at war with each other. I challenge you to go through your neighborhood and find a, a yard sign that says, we believe in science and we believe in the Bible. <laughs> I got to find a sign like that. And it's sad. But for those of us at Blackhawk Church, uh, we kind of like are a third way. We're like, yeah, you know what? Uh, you can believe in science and in the Bible. We don't see a conflict between the two. You know, we talk about that a lot at Blackhawk Church, but I know some of you are new to Blackhawk, so I'll just kind of remind you that we do this from time to time. You'll see also um, in our blog page, and I think you'll see uh, that slide for that right now. If you go to that blog page, uh, you'll see different resources that we have provided for you that help you to understand more about the Bible and science. You see, at Blackhawk Church, we believe that God wrote two books, actually. This is one of them, and this is the other one. God wrote the book of nature, and he wrote this book, too, and they're not in conflict with one another. Every four or five years, we have a science and faith seminar, and normally we get a friend of mine who goes to Blackhawk, who's a committed evangelical Christian. His name's Rick Lindroth. He's a world-class scientist. He teaches ecology down at the university, and he'll usually do a lecture on uh, ecology, so you can find uh, that. Uh, also, Rick and I are part of an organization called uh, BioLogos. Rick is one of the speakers, and I'm on the advisory council. BioLogos was formed by Francis Collins, who is currently the director of the National Institutes of Health. Have you ever heard of Anthony Fauci, you know, the COVID-19 guy? Yeah, he actually works for Francis Collins. Francis Collins years ago formed BioLogos. Francis Collins is an incredible scientist together with other people. Uh, they did the research uh, for uh, understanding the human uh, genome. And he's also a committed Christ follower who believes in the Bible. So there's this idea that there's a warfare between science and the Bible, you guys, is just a myth. It sells books, but it's just not uh, true. Also, we have a wonderful guy in our church named Ed Brown. Ed Brown has founded and leads an organization called Care for Creation. And we encourage you to go to that website. And there are lots of practical things that you can do as just a Christ follower to care for creation. And just go to that website and you'll learn lots of things. He has lots of resources there. Also, there's a link to uh, a person named Catherine Hayhoe. Catherine Hayhoe is the wife of a pastor in Texas. She's a missionary kid. She's a committed Christ follower, believes in the Bible. She's also a climate scientist. And uh, if you pay attention to climate scientists like Catherine Hayhoe, they will tell you that the climate is in a mess and the clock is ticking. 97% you guys, of climate scientists who study the climate will tell you we are in a world of hurt right now. So we would just encourage you uh, to go to those websites and just check those things out uh, on your own. The second thing that we should do as a result of Psalm 104, and maybe probably be better if I said this was the first thing you should do, you know, don't go to our website. Go outside. 
Like, go outside. Walk around. Go into God's office. And as you go into God's office, maybe take Psalm 104 with you. But look up at the clouds. Look up at the leaves. Listen to the birds. Look for the squirrels. Just walk through the woods and appreciate God for who he is and what God has done. The psalmist closes uh, in verse uh, 33 with this. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him. You guys, some of us are going through things right now and their life can be crushing and can be overwhelming and we're thinking, oh my gosh, what is my God going to do about this? What's my God going to do about that? And we can just become depressed so easily. Listen, you guys, this is his office. He is created and he constantly sustains all these things. Yeah, we don't have a problem too big for God to handle. Walk in his office and sing his praises.